right now, it's it's all about we want to do business with you uh, as a supplier or as a customer because we share your values and we know that if you care about the planet, you're probably going to care about your suppliers as well and your supply chain. It's not a zero-sum game. When you're helping the environment, everyone wins. Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. It's episode 33 and I'm recording this on Thursday the 30th of July. Here in the UK, we're gradually emerging from the coronavirus lockdown, though people are nervous about the second waves of infections we're seeing in Australia, Germany and Spain. I hope you, your family, friends and teams are all staying safe and well. Earlier this week, I was chatting to someone involved in a sustainability startup. She's noticing that whilst there's lots of interest in building back better after the pandemic, especially around climate change and social justice, people don't seem to have the headspace to focus on how to do this. Many organisations are busy working out how to survive or are finding their services and products in demand and are struggling to keep up. If this sounds like you, then why not trust your brain to be absorbing the new ways of thinking? The circular economy, transparency, fair trade and labour, inclusiveness and purpose-driven business. Taking on a new mindset and letting your subconscious reflect on both opportunities and risks could start to generate great ideas for your future. We at Rethink can help you with that, with coaching, talks and workshops. Now on to this week's episode. We talked to Greg Lavery of Ripe Office, which remanufactures high-quality office furniture. We hear why Greg decided that office furniture is ideal for a circular business, how Ripe's customer base is evolving, and why people are switching to remade furniture. I am delighted to introduce Dr. Greg Lavery. Greg and I first met back in 2014 at the EPSRC Industrial Sustainability Conference at Cambridge University. At the time, Greg, through his consulting partnership, Lavery Pennell, had published a report for the UK government called The Next Manufacturing Revolution. The following year, Greg was presenting again, this time telling us about his new venture, Ripe Office, and his plans for remanufactured office furniture. Greg's talk impressed me so much that I ended up buying a few shares in Ripe Office. A civil engineer by training, Greg has focused his career on improving the sustainability of the built environment. He began by working for Arup, and Greg was awarded a PhD in sustainable building design in the 1990s. He built, from startup, what is now Australia's largest solar business, Origin Solar, and as a consultant, assisted organisations with innovative, sustainable business models, including Mazdar City, Interface, Shell, and Climate Works Australia. Greg founded and is now rapidly growing Ripe Office, 
a vertically integrated circular economy office furniture remanufacturing business. Greg, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you, Catherine. Delighted to be here. So I kind of know know this bit because of uh, your talk back in 2015. But before we get into the what and how of Ripe Office, I'd like to ask you about the why. What made you start and do start to do this? Really good question. And like many entrepreneurs, um, uh, you can see from my introduction, I've sort sort of got a burning passion all my life for sustainability. Um, And and the question is, of course, you can do sustainability and spend a lot of money. um, And and there are a lot of organisations out there that are unprofitable, doing wonderful things, but really struggling to make ends meet. And we thought, well, look, there's a lot of problems out there. Where are those profitable opportunities so we can make some really big change at the same time do that in an economic fashion? Um, and one of you mentioned the uh, next manufacturing revolution. One of the seven opportunities that we showcased um, in that for British manufacturing uh, was, which by the way, were all about resource efficiency. One of those seven was the circular economy, uh, which had, was pioneered in the, uh, the sort of late 90s, early 2000s by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Um, but really hadn't taken a hold in any real shape or form beyond the usual examples of Caterpillar and perhaps photocopiers as well. Um, and what we realized is that there are some characteristics for what makes a good circular business and there are some characteristics what don't. So, for instance, drugs. Once it, once I take a drug and it comes out my other end, nobody wants to use that in any way, shape or form, no matter how much you pay them or how much money you save. However, there are some high value items. So we had a look quite rigorously at, at what's going on in the UK economy. And what we found is that office furniture and for that matter, office computers, Um, are sufficiently high value, but at the same time are contributing to an enormous waste problem, which means that you can sell them for a reasonable price and you don't pay very much money buying for them, which leaves you plenty of money in the middle for overheads, but more importantly, the remanufacturing processes, um, which we do very rigorously um, because we're a bunch of engineers. Uh, We take that as an engineering precision process with all the quality control that means we're taking tons and tons of furniture and the statistic that really disturbs me whenever I hear it is that every every single working day in the UK 300 tons of office furniture is going to landfill 300 tons a day can you conceptualize how many very large lorries that involves to take that Mm. and put that somewhere where basically it's going to then emit methane and take up valuable landfill space that's frankly needed by councils for all the rest of the waste that occurs so we said that's nonsense right there's got to be a better way um and and you mentioned I'm an engineer by training, absolutely. Got together with a couple other smart people and we figured out how to remanufacture furniture back to as new condition. And that's really significant because remanufacturing is one of those things that a lot of people don't understand. It starts with the term re, so isn't that just the same as refurbishing or, or reconstituting or repairing? Well, actually it isn't. It's, an, it's a quality controlled engineering process and that's been one of our biggest challenges. So yeah, going, going back to the... Um... The high value and lots of waste and we and you mentioned some of the issues um around waste methane and so on but there's also the value of all those lost materials isn't there well well absolutely i mean the environmental e- equation looks so remanufacturing the statistics from some really good papers that were written in the 2000s show that you can reduce your green your, your environmental footprint let's just call it that by 80 percent 
And that's the water that goes into products. That's the energy and therefore greenhouse gas emissions that are embodied. It's the materials that have to be dug out of the ground. It's the biodiversity that gets destroyed because of the mines that dig the stuff out of the ground. And, and what's more then, as, as you also mentioned, there's the waste problem. So actually you can kill two birds with one stone. You can reduce the environmental footprint, but at the same time you're so solving a waste problem. And that's sort of got us, what got us excited because it's actually a very simple engineering problem. I mean, upholstery is upholstery, right? And there's a certain way you put it on. Some chairs you can reupholster, some chairs you can't. Um, and that's been really our task is to figure out how to do that cost effectively to be able to do that at larger scale. And as we grow, we're now um, delighted to be um, to be the uh, lessors of a much bigger manufacturing facility. And we're in the process of recruiting a manufacturing manager. So hi to the listeners out there. If there's any of you are a manufacturing manager that fancy a job uh, in the region of High Wycombe, uh, west of London, then we'd love to speak to you because now we need to get serious about manufacturing. I mean, we need to be able to churn out a couple of hundred chairs, desks, uh, pedestals per day to satisfy our growing market. Because uh, as you say, we're growing quickly. Uh, we've, we've grown out of our first plant. Let's get another one and let's get that um, to another world-class facility um, that is knocking it out of the park with top quality furniture. Brilliant. And it's great news that the, um, the market's growing and you're expanding with it. And I think some of that is from your approach in that you don't just um, have a kind of online shop with a selection of remanufactured office furniture you offer design services don't you to, to customers so that yeah um, and really you're touching on we're, you're touching on a key challenge for us when we started up so as an entrepreneur you have to figure out obviously where you're going to play in the value chain and and for us to start off just selling remanufactured office furniture in a in an industry where most furniture is made by manufacturers sold through dealers convincing architects who are the ultimate decision makers and then the client pays the bills there's actually so many decision makers there that what we decided is to get started we had to really talk straight to the customer uh, and in the case of building products or, or interior design you, you speak to an architect about what they require and they go down to the incredibly detail where it's going to have a white underside for the arm and a blue on the top and a black for the back but they're not at the bottom of the back because that's got to be white to meet their design whereas you go to a client and you say well what do you want from your new office and they always use wonderful terms like i want it to be light i want it to be airy i want it to feel productive and collaborative um, we want it to be fun and we want to attract staff there and none of that involves a color other than light maybe, none of it involves a particular style or whatever. So actually we say, we said right from the start, we are going to vertically integrate. We're, we're gonna cut out the dealers. So we're gonna be manufacturing, we're gonna be designers and we're gonna deal directly with the client. Uh, and, and that was a great decision as it works out because we, we now employ architects and interior designers and we have some wonderful conversations with, with the client. And we don't have to explain to all these intermediaries who, who through Chinese whispers, the, the message of what we do, do get lost. It's actually going straight to the customer saying, we can give you everything that you've just asked for. And how would you like that to come at a price tag less than half what you would have paid and with an environmental footprint 80% lower? And by the way, we're also going to employ long-term unemployed people with disabilities to remanufacture your furniture. And for, and the real kicker then is we'll give you the marketing stories for your media distribution as to where the furniture come, came from, how much greenhouse gas emissions, how many hours of long-term um, unemployed and disabled labour we've used uh, at a real living wage, uh, how, much ton, how many tonnes of waste. And all of that turns into an amazing like marketing feast for an organisation that has values around sustainability and purpose. 
Uh, and, and the other, I mean, while I'm on that subject, what's been absolutely incredible to us is, and, and, and what really surprised us is that we thought the world needed a more sustainable solution in furniture, but the market wasn't there. Um, and, and we did our best and we grew and we grew. But what's happened, because we're at the start of a new decade, thanks to Greta Thun Thunberg and the whole um, Extinction Rebellion movement, we, the world recognises this is the decade for action on climate change and, for that matter, plastics and other environmental issues. And so what we've found to our great delight is in the last two years, the market has moved to exactly where we are. So we're having many, many conversations with organisations saying, hey, we care about the climate. We've now set ourselves a goal of all our operations being net zero carbon. You can help us to do that. Let's have a conversation. And we're working with some wonderful architects, some design and build firms, um, some property services companies, some uh, state management organisations. Um, and when you're talking with organisations like British Land, for whom we've done three or four projects now, um, they can move their whole market as well. So if British land does something, all of the second tier real estate investment trusts start to listen, all the property services companies like Savills and CBRE and JLL, who are wonderful people who can mobilize to trends in the market very quickly, they, they listen and they start to change their thinking about sustainability as well. So it, it's been wonderful to be sort of at the right place at the right time. And, and as all entrepreneurs know, um, luck is very important. And we got lucky about our timing, no question. Yeah, and I think it's it's really encouraging to hear that the conversations are now starting to go on in lots of different organisations. And I'm wondering if in, in some areas, um, like remanufacturing, we're now on that part of the product diffusion curve where we're moving from the early adopters to the... Um, uh, to the kind of um, early majority and uh, some some writers talk about a chasm don't they in between those two and are we are we ready to cross the chasm because um, the conversation is becoming general now and people have heard of the circular economy um, people are starting to to see all the soft benefits coming from doing circular things doing more sustainable things not just the good marketing story that you can tell your customers and your shareholders but there's engaged employees who are you know enjoying sitting on this office furniture that's that's um you know stopped a whole load of of waste and lowered their they feel like they've lowered their footprint um and so it's it's got lots of um benefits that perhaps people didn't envisage right and and really intangible when you start thinking about well i'm going to need a chair and a desk and whatever um often the price point rules, right? So so a company might say, let's say for home furniture, as is, as is occurring right now um, with the lock, lockdown, and hopefully we'll be out of it shortly. Um, with with the lockdown, people have, companies have said, oh, you have an allowance of X hundred pounds for a, for a chair for your home office. So people are aiming at that price point. And wh when they look at what's available new, and, and by the way, we've got to have a talk about language because the, the term new, let's call it from virgin resources. So from virgin resources, that only lets them get a certain quality of chair in terms of ergonomics. When you then talk remanufactured or second life or whatever your term is for what we do, um, this, uh, let's say a circular economy chair, the value for money you're getting at that same price point means you can afford for that same price a Herman Miller or a Vitra or an orange box or something that's been beautifully designed. And in fact, we don't sell the garbage, right? There's no point in us selling something that's not very ergonomic when it costs us the same to remanufacture something that's ergonomic as it does to remanufacture something that isn't. And sometimes more because they're so poorly made. So actually for the 
the consumer being the person sitting in office or in your home office thinking about the furniture, the value for money in terms of the comfort and the productivity um, that you can achieve with remanufacturing is actually opening a lot of people's eyes as well. Um, and, and we love bringing people into our showroom and showing them a few of the better known chairs out there. Um, and there's one in particular, which we're actually remanufacturing a lot of. And in fact, I'm sitting on one right now, um, which everyone sits on and goes, this is the most comfortable chair I've ever sat on. And so our team scratch our heads like, how come? I mean, it's a fairly common chair. And the answer is many organizations just don't pay what it costs to buy a from Virgin Resources chair that has all the right ergonomics on it. And yet they turn to us and go, most comfortable chair I've ever sat on. I want 100 of them for my people so that actually our staff are going to be sitting on these really ergonomic chairs, uh, which is good for their backs. It means that the injury claims de decrease. And, and you know, I, I think the statistic that blew me away is that between 40 and 60% of people through their entire working lives will have a back problem. Wow. 40 to 60, right? That means, so imagine you're sitting there in those, maybe that decade you're struggling with your back problem. Come four o'clock in the afternoon, you've had a good solid eight or nine hours sitting on your chair and you're thinking, gosh, my back's really starting to niggle me. I, I, can't, I just can't comfortably sit here. I'm fidgeting and whatever. I'll go home early. That's an hour of work time or maybe more that actually the employer has lost. And hopefully the employees also lost because they enjoy their job. That's a whole different debate. Let's not get into that. But assuming that they enjoy their job, that's actually less time they're spending building their careers and, and, and showing their employer what they can do and making a difference in this world. Actually, that's not productive for anyone then. So the, the difference that a chair makes, if you can get a much better quality one at the same price point or even lower, is actually a game changer in terms of ergonomics and, and which comes back to staff well-being in an office. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And in terms of the broadening marketplace, are you noticing different kinds of companies coming in? I think when, when you first got going, there were companies that really wanted to have sustainability as their sort of, um, you know, brand values. It was one of their key values. And so for them, it was, a, it was a, an easy way of showing that they weren't just talking about it, they were doing it as well. Are you noticing yeah, it, that it's starting to become part of normal business as, as you might well, say. exactly and and as you, as you say early on it was a sort of a, a badge of honor for some organizations who were uh, let's say a carbon offsetting organization that this was just part of the way they did business right there was no question they were ever going to do anything different um and and so they weren't mainstream though but what's happened since then is that there's been a real change or a recognition that values are much more important than the business environment. Let me give you an example. So many law firms um, that we work with have a real problem in their old offices where um, they have all the, so many of them, timberline walls and, and very, very expensive and beautiful furniture, including, um, let's say, inlaid um, or, or very uh, expensive veneer um, boardroom tables, unbelievably expensive leather clad chairs in their boardroom. So what happens is when a visitor or, or let's say a client comes in to meet with their, their um, uh, what do you call it, I suppose lawyer or solicitor, they're shown into this meeting room that is incredibly decadent. And, and if, I'm, if I'm walking into a room where the furniture is more expensive than I could ever afford in my organization or my personal life, automatically I think, gosh, I know where my fees are going. These guys are expensive because they've got expensive tastes. And, and I resent that a little bit, right? So you've already got a not a very good values alignment there and, and almost a standoff, not comfortable relationship. Uh, it's a bit, little bit adversarial, let's even put it that way, right? 
Whereas lawyers are coming to us and saying, we know we've got this problem. What can we do? And we say, how would you like your, your boardroom table to be post-consumer recycled yogurt pots with a little bit of tin foil from the lids for an accent through that? Uh, and underneath it, the, the world's most beautiful frame from Vitra, which in, in itself would cost you five to six thousand pounds just for the frame. And how would you like that cheaper than you're currently paying for your furniture? And they say, oh, it's a no brainer. Of course we want that. So then you think about the mindset of, of that interaction. So a visitor walks in and goes, gosh, this is an interesting table. The lawyer then says, oh, you'd be interested in the story. That's actually had a second life because we as a law firm and as indiv individuals care about creating a better planet. And the, and the client then goes, oh, fantastic. I can see now an alignment of purpose here. And, and what's more, then the, then the lawyer says it doesn't cost as much as you think, et cetera, et cetera. So you've immediately got, instead of an adversarial situation, a very much an alignment of values, which is why the business business world is moving, right? Right now, it's, it's all about we want to do business with you as a supplier or as a customer because we share your values and we know that if you care about the planet you're probably going to care about your suppliers as well and your supply chain therefore that's a much better relationship and much more fulfilling for our staff and ourselves and what's more we know you're going to challenge us with better products and we're going to we can work together in a, in a very familiar way and what's great as you would know as, as being a part of the circular economy and sustainability world as you are Catherine as I'm sure most of the uh, people listening to this podcast are sustainability people are friendly fundamentally and i've done business most of my life with sustainability people and i see other industries where there's it's a dog eat dog zero sum game but we in the sustainability game know that one and one doesn't mean that someone else is going to miss out right it, it, it's not a zero sum game when you're helping the environment everyone wins and if we can make money along the way that's a bonus yeah that's great and i think the other thing that came to mind there was the story of the table um that you know the story wasn't a kind of showing off story about um, you know which top end designer made it or what expensive wood it's made out of that's probably come from virgin forest, but the story's much the story's interesting in itself, and is something that the customer's probably going to remember, the employees remember, and it kind of brings the whole piece of furniture to life and uh, you know gives everybody something more tangible to, to think about so it's not just the kind of why we bought this but what it's been made of and how creative that process is and so on that that can also you know help um uh kind of um you know get give people more of a connection with the person who's telling the story and and what's behind it and all the rest of it so yes and, and, and more importantly as well it it, it it differentiates us as as a supplier so we that is seen as premium because it's rare and it's unusual. So we're seen as guys doing something a bit interesting. And for us and, and for those um, entrepreneurs um, listening, um, actually being another bunch of secondhand furniture guys, that's our worst, worst nightmare, right? Because then we're low-end providers of low-end products that's not really differentiated, operating, frankly, in a very competitive and quite small market, which is the secondhand market. What those sorts of products enable us to do, like that, that table is whilst it's still got a remanufactured base underneath right there's still a significant remanufacturing component but it differentiates us and enables us to compete in the new furniture market which is a much bigger market but we have to be really on our game with quality as well so we have to say well we have to be able to deliver as new furniture in terms of appearance and performance so that keeps us holds us to a standard as well but that's the standard that our customers expect because they're saying if, if it's between a veneer table that we would normally get and a recycled yogurt pot table provided by ripe office 
obviously we want the want the recycle one but we don't want to pay any more however their budget's pretty big because of an air table's pretty big in fact they want to make some savings and they want to make sure that it's a little bit different so actually we and, and it's obviously got to be high quality if it goes without saying in a lawyer's visitor's room or meeting room it has to be of the highest quality and and we are able to achieve that and that's been a lot of hard blood sweat and tears by our guys um, in order to get to that level of quality but we're, we're, we've been there for a number of years and that's really now starting to pay some great dividends mm. so talking about the quality lessons and the quality struggles over the um, those years so it's coming up to five years now since I first heard you talk about ripe office what what else have you struggled with and what surprised you in those five years? Yeah, interesting question. So let's reflect on that. So so what's what we've struggled with is mostly education about remanufacturing. The circular economy is new to many people. And so being able to explain what we do, unfortunately, you can't do that in 140 or what is it now, 280 characters. So we don't even bother with social media, right? If someone's flicking, they are not going to learn about remanufacturing and the value of the circular economy in terms of social value, environmental value and economic value in in a tweet, right? So what we've struggled with is how do you, how do you find a way to condense that message and and explain to people very simply what we do and show them all the benefits because obviously the, um, you need to show people proof that this is actually a win-win-win all the way around. I mean, it was hilarious. I was talking with a, a very large construction company, a really nice guy. He said, look, Greg, I like what you do and I like you. Where's the catch? You can't have all your, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And I said, actually, you bloody can, you know, because this is, ob- I mean, and I, I mentioned at the outset, we are an arbitrage taking essentially waste, although we don't obviously pick stuff off landfills because we don't need to. There's a lot of, um, office clearance companies that we buy from um, and, and and getting it back to as new right so th- there's a big difference in the in the price point there so we, we can afford to do that so and and then I sort, sort of took him through this this particular individual through where all the costs were and, and how all that worked he went you know you're right why wouldn't everyone do this you guys are going to be really successful and I thought well that's very kind of you four and a half years into our model uh, to say so and of course you didn't have to but but that, it, that, it took me a half an hour to get to that point where he just went I get it I'm going to use it. And so he's become an advocate for us, um, as have many people who've, who've heard about what we do. And, that, and that's been, and I suppose that, back to your second question, that's really surprised me is that we've, the, the loyalty and um, strong relationships we've had with customers and even non-customers, people that, that we meet say, oh, I really love your model. I've been watching your business for the past three years. And I say, well, why haven't you said hi sometime, right? We don't, we, we've got fans out there. That's really unusual and, and, and very rewarding because clearly other people are just seeing the value that can be created. And, and the warmth of welcome that they give. I mean, they almost try and hug you, right? It's like, well, who are you? It's like, well, I'm your number one fan. It's like, well, that's fantastic. Why didn't you say so? Let's have a great conversation about it. So, yeah, I mean, that that's really uh, pleasantly surprised us. And But I suppose it shouldn't because at the end of the day, people are very passionate about creating a better world um, and doing so in an economic way. And when 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 we find a solution that, that does that, why wouldn't we embrace it? So, for instance, I mean, one of the things that I learned just yesterday is that Amazon has an Amazon Renew page and everything on there has been remanufactured by quality controlled guys who've been vetted by Amazon. Now, I don't know how great that vetting is, but I know a couple of companies that sell through that. Um, I think that's wonderful. That means that instead of buying stuff that's from Virgin Resources, there's somewhere now you can go 
where you've got choice edited options, where you know the quality has been tested, where you're probably going to get something that's exactly the same as you would have paid a lot of money for. Similarly, Apple. I mean, Apple has an Apple refurbished page on its website. Now, they don't highlight that. It's sort of tucked away and quite hidden. But nevertheless, it's there and they're quite proud of it because that's, that's an alternative to buying new. And this whole, I suppose, this whole thinking that you mentioned, sort of are we entering a, a, a sort of early majority or something like that in terms of the um, uptake curve? Let's hope so. But I don't think we're there just yet. I think there's still a lot more education to go on. So, Greg, it's great to know that you've got a fan base out there. And how can people who really like Ripe Office and haven't yet got in touch to try and give you a hug, how can they help you going forward? Yeah, I... <laughs> That's hilarious, isn't it? Hilarious that we've got fans, um, uh, but but we appreciate every one of them. So the, the really good question. I mean, there's a couple of ways. You you bought shares in us when we were raising money. Thank you for that. Um, it's great to have you as a shareholder, and and we welcome shareholders um, every so often when we're raising money. I would anticipate our next shareholding will be uh, sh- sorry, share raising or capital raising will be in probably Q1 or Q2 next year. Um, we obviously have to get over the the COVID thing and and be able to demonstrate to potential investors that that the COVID was just a minor blip and that we are continuing to grow. So that, that's one opportunity. Um, we also welcome recommendations. So if, if you know someone who's, who's or an organisation who's thinking about uh, refurbishing a floor or, or a whole building or are in, in moving, um, and let's face it, every company tends to move every sort of four or five years when their lease runs out. And mostly there's a sort of bad, uh, let's say an expected habit of throwing all that furniture away. Um, we, we offer a commission um, to people who can introduce us to, into projects. Um, and, and that's really just a matter of saying, hey, my friend Harriet's just about to move office. Um, Harriet's um, working with the person who's in charge of that. Can I make an introduction? We say, great, let's do that. Uh, and we'll pay a commission based on the furniture um, that we sell into that project to anyone who introduces us. So, And we'd love to have lots of those referrers out there. Um, and then finally, we're recruiting. We're, we're growing really quickly. I mentioned um, earlier, perhaps the manufacturing manager that we're after to, to man- run our new site um, at High Wycombe and hopefully build us a few more after that. Um, upholsterers, we're always looking for upholsterers. So if anyone knows any upholsterers looking for a sustainable role in a, in a fast growth industry, um, that'd be great. Uh, refurbishers, um, so people with, who are handy with tools um, that, don't, that, that like to see things built. Um, we, we have a, a, a great bunch of people that do that. Um, uh, and, we're, and we're always looking to grow that. But otherwise, I mean, get in touch. We have a sort of open recruitment policy um, on our website under the Join Us page um, where you can see how some of the roles that we have open and, and the process for doing that. So it'd be wonderful if anyone uh, likes what we do. Um, please reach out, link in, link in with, with me or, or, or the company. Um, it'd be great to connect with people that, that share our passion. Great. So hopefully you'll get um, a good a good team of both recommenders and um, new employees for the next next phase of Roped Office. And Greg, a question I always like to ask is, who would you recommend as a future guest for the programme? Uh, yeah, really good question. So there's a couple of people who I really like in the way that they're approaching sustainability um, and the circular economy. Uh, one is Nick Rawkins from Reconomy, uh, which is uh, Office Computers and Electronics. But more than that, they've got a really nice encompassing model that basically takes away large volumes of electronics and then streams those into the highest value um, solutions for those. Um, and that that's such a wonderful model. Um, I really like that. And the other person um, is Cressy Wessling. And I think, Catherine, you and I met her at the um, ESPRC uh, events as well. Um, she, her company is called Elvis and Cressy. 
and she does high-end uh, accessories like belts and handbags and, and various other items made from, uh, she started with fire hoses, so used fire hoses, which is a, which is a incredibly tough material without a market. And she solved that. She's actually putting all the world's or UK's uh, old fire hoses into products. Um, and now she started a wonderful collaboration with Burberry to use their leather offcuts to make equally beautiful um, uh, bags and, and other accessories. So uh, Elvis and Cressy is, is, is one of my idol firms. They've done it so beautifully um, and are a real beacon, I think, in the circular economy for how to be a luxury brand using materials that are largely worthless when she receives them mm. um so hats off to her and elvis for doing such a great job yeah and having having heard her talk she can the the, the story behind that is brilliant as well isn't it so uh yeah, yeah i'll get in touch with cressa so greg how can people get in touch with you and find out more about ripe office uh, our website is ripeoffice.com spelled roger yankee papa echo o-f-f-i-c.com um, and you can email me at contact at ripeoffice, R-Y-P-E-O-F-F-I-C.com. Love to hear from you. Fantastic. And I'll put those links in the show notes as well, if people don't uh, remember the spelling of that. Greg, thank you very much for taking the time during lockdown to talk us through all the uh, developments at Ripe Office. And I wish, wish you lots of luck for the next phase of expansion and uh, making remade office furniture go mainstream. Thank you, Catherine. It's been a pleasure. I love Greg's point about changing the language we use. Instead of saying that something is new, saying this is made from virgin resources. That and other phrases can help change our mindset away from take, make and waste towards regenerate, reuse and recycle. It was interesting that Greg began with an ambition to do something circular, both to prove the case for a circular economy and to build a viable, sustainable business. He then looked for an unfilled niche, researching opportunities for a high-value product range, which resulted in large quantities of accessible, usable waste. It's fascinating how Ripe Office's customer base is expanding from those early days with sustainability think tanks and NGOs keen to showcase their green credentials. Now, a much broader range of clients are realising that high-quality, remanufactured office furniture is a no-brainer. The benefits are both measurable and less tangible. You get well-designed furniture to help people work comfortably and productively. Ripe's design skills make your offices look amazing, your environmental footprint is much smaller, and the overall value for money is far better than choosing new furniture. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can find the podcast show notes with transcripts and links on rethinkglobal.info. Please let us know what you'd like us to feature on the podcast. And you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. You can get in touch via our website, rethinkglobal.info, or connect with me on LinkedIn. See you next time. <laughs>